I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Barangaroo Studios, the AusBiz COV is the key stuff you need to know about the day in business and finance. Hello and good afternoon or good evening. It is the 16th of November. This is the COB podcast. It's really good to be here with you. I'm Nadine Blaney and uh, here's David Scott. Actually, I should say I'm here with you today, Scotty. You are. And welcome back, buddy. Have you had, a, you. Have you had a very uh, fruitful and relaxing time off that uh, you well deserve? So, there um, were relaxing and, moments, but and, yeah. And look, you should have taken another day off given what was going on the local exchange <laughs> today. Yeah, what a, what a fizzle. I was all geared up for a great day of trade. Futures pointing higher. Record finish for the S&P 500 on Wall Street. Russell 2000. I was really interested to see how small cap space would react here today. Thank goodness for the Chi-X uh, market operator and the Chi-X 200. So, um, you know, there were some trades going through. But look, when you've got the main market, when you've got uh, the market regulator um, down and drip feeding information, look, it doesn't make for a very exciting day. And in fact, it can be damaging for traders as well. Very difficult to go uh, run money in such an environment where you can't actually go and take physical action. I've known a couple of instances in the past where uh, the futures exchange has gone down rather than the physical market. Uh, and it's led to some big, uh, big price swings and, uh, and inability to go and hedge particular positions and the like. Um, not so much on this occasion, but uh, no, still, it is, uh, it is clearly not acceptable to be uh, down for an entire day. Uh, the one thing I found really uh, a bit unusual too was a lack of uh, insightful information as to what exactly was going on at the ASX. Uh, it seemed to take a long period of time to get anything out and still very vague in the nature. So I do hope that the exchange has its, uh, you know, has its finger on the pulse in terms of what's going on there to ensure we don't have a second day. Because, of course, uh, there have been other examples uh, around the world this year mm-hmm. where exchanges have been offline for several days, which has led to uh, no, very difficult times uh, for investors. Yeah, it's interesting to get all the different takes. I mean, we've we've poked fun to a certain degree, just mentioning the activity on Twitter, for example. Um, but yeah, there's been all sorts of opinions being expressed. Julia Lee from Berman Invest was quite relaxed about it, saying that in relationships, you get the seven-year itch. But things like this seem to happen for the ASX every four years or so. Um, Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool, somebody who's on the AusBiz platform quite a bit, says that why not limit yourself anyways to checking your portfolio once a week, ideally after the market closes, say on a Friday. Now, not everybody clearly will feel like that. Doesn't work for the Robin Hood traders, does it? certainly doesn't. But um, look... The bottom line is, coming from the ASX, uh, that uh, they will have things back up and running by 10 a.m., so by market open tomorrow. So prior to, uh, you know, everything getting shut down or put on pause is what we were being told for most of the day, uh, the local market was up by more than 1%, and the Chi-X 200 finished up more than 1%. So it, it, it was, I mean... We've got green all around us on the screen. It was a positive session. Yeah, a very positive session in Asia. That's all you can really go off in this mm-hmm. environment. Uh, no, suddenly I think uh, U.S. futures, S&P 500 futures, sitting up about uh, 0.8%, so on track for fresh record highs again tonight. But uh, who knows what it could have been. Uh, 1.23%, the XJ was up uh, after 24 minutes of trade. If you extrapolate that out, 
Oh, we could have been on a track for like, you know, 12,000, oh, yeah. 14,000, who knows? Yeah, yeah. The moon. Uh, <laughs> anything could have been possible on a day with the, uh, with the gains at that magnitude in such a short period of time. Of course, I'm, I'm kidding. But, yeah, uh, of course. It's, uh, it, does, it does give you like no sense of know what could have been. Well, look, um, what we know is uh, coming from China. We had a whole dump or deluge of data. Um, the economy is gathering momentum in October supported by gains in factory production, government-backed investment, and consumer spending. That is according to official data from China. Yes, uh, look, we already knew the industrial side of China's uh, economy was, uh, was humming pretty strongly. Um, and... Uh, not surprising to see fixed asset investments starting to go and pick up. We've seen a lot of uh, special bond issuance uh, going out there. A lot of credit has been extended as well. Uh, that's gone into those particular things. But the, the consumer still remains the one, I won't call it weak spot, but uh, soft spot for the time being. I think uh, the year-on-year year year increase was up 4.3% uh, in the month of October. Uh, Fantastic by any other uh, measure around the world, but certainly uh, not fantastic when it comes to Chinese normality, particularly when we know that there's an inability for a lot of consumers to go and spend on services at the moment. Uh, so, yeah, still disappointing, but uh, nothing to go and get too, uh, no, too uh, upset about for the time being. No. Um, as far as uh, a story, I think that, that got a run today, but if we saw share price reactions, could have got more of a run if the market wasn't closed, was you know, the reaction from ASIC uh, to the buy now pay later space so uh, ASIC has decided on holding off recommending intervention but it is watching how the industry self-regulates and uh, reacts to already announced regulatory guidelines so uh, one broker one one investment house has weighed in RBC Capital Markets saying that Afterpay and Zip should experience no adverse intervention following that corporate regulators updated report on the buy now pay later industry um, yeah, what do you make of it? I mean, clearly, uh, the headline was that ASIC research shows that one in five consumers are missing payments. Is this a budgeting tool or is this uh, more dangerous territory? You're asking the wrong person. Everyone, I think, uh, who has followed my uh, my views for any extended period of time knows that uh, I think it should, the, the whole industry should be regarded as a credit provider. Uh, and treated as such. The one thing as well that uh, I'm looking forward to getting a ruling on is the ability for retailers to go and uh, charge uh, consumers for the user service of run out pay later because uh, that will put them in direct competition with the credit card providers where we know that the uh, rates are significantly lower uh, and that would severely dent the business model that I uh, know a lot of these things are underpinned by. So one to go keep an eye on. Uh, Certainly the uh, statistics when it came to those uh, one in five you know, experiencing financial hardship and the like, uh, I think are probably more uh, reflective of what it was prior to the impact of uh, you know, uh, stimulus payments going through and the like. Uh, certainly if you look at uh, the updates that have come through from those providers, they've uh, been glowing in their other bad debt mm -hmm. charters. But of course, uh, I just question how much of that has actually been underpinned by the taxpayer. Okay, um, let's leave that for now because we don't have a real read on how the share price would have reacted to that ASIC they're under, a, they're under a little bit of pressure, yeah, but, but I don't think it's anything you could really yeah. go and pin on that. So there will be document. new design and distribution obligations, but there's a two-year transition period for that industry. Let's just talk about what we're expecting then in the U.S. tonight because, I mean, we do get a bit of data out. We do get a read on um, the Empire State Index, so manufacturing. Uh, we'll be looking for orders and employment, but we've got a whole raft of U.S. U.S. Fed speakers out this week. Now, we don't have a resolution totally in the U.S. election. 
we know that stimulus is not coming through until that resolution comes. Uh, and so there's a bit of pressure being put on the U.S. consumer. Uh, you know, Fred Williams says that the U.S. economy is in a deep hole. We're going to be really pairing any sort of details that we can get from these speakers this week to see whether or not more stimulus is coming and when. Yes, uh, the market has already built in quite a substantial amount of expectation that we'll see something from the Fed, if not before its December meeting, uh, potentially beforehand, if I know start, things start getting a little bit awry. But the one thing that's really has struck me is that the conditions seem to suggest that there is massive downside risk to the economy, but the data is not showing it to this anywhere near the degree as yet. But we know, of course, that uh, the data lags. The Empire State, it's a great uh, reading because it's basically in a real-time situation about what's going on in New York State uh, in the manufacturing sector there. It's only one part, but we know, of course, what's going on with the uh, coronavirus around the United States at the moment. Record uh, highs every day when it comes to new cases. Uh, hospitalizations, I think, are back at uh, no, uh, higher than uh, the worst we've seen in the, the previous spike. So any evidence that we're seeing a slowdown, uh, particularly in the absence of no fiscal stimulus, it's hard to see the Fed just sitting on the sidelines. No, and so you've got to think that where else are people going to put their money rather than equities? Tina, anywhere but cash. ABC. ABC. Is that so, new? You made that, that up? I did make it up, but I'm, I'm sure that uh, no, I probably read it somewhere and it's probably just stuck in my mind that I'm plagiarizing so Anything but cash. Yeah, but uh, the, the current environment, uh, I was asking a few guests today on the, uh, the program, uh, given an environment where you've got real yields, risk-free rates going to be deeply negative territory. Just anything uh, is a better option than cash at the moment, of course. Now, in a pullback, I could say, well, it's good to be invested in cash It's as a ballast. But at the same time, it's, uh, it's very hard to see, given the level of cash holdings that exist there at the moment, uh, anything other than uh, any pullback will be bought. Yeah. Uh, it's just that's the environment that's been created by central banks uh, around the world. Uh, we know that to come to expect a backstop. This is no different. But we're looking at now at a period where there's going to be very little inflationary pressures, it seems. There's going to be a nice pickup in growth. In that environment, you want to be invested in hard assets. So it's very difficult to see anything. But you know, the teat and trade in anything but cash, yeah. maintaining the status quo. I mean, bro. even before I read your view today, I put that question to Dean Fergie at Cyan Investment Management. Just, you know, those investors that have been waiting for some sort of a market pullback, whether that be around the election or post-election, if there was a contested election. He says, look, you know, you've just missed out on the recent rallies. You're missing out on potential income. Uh, he says that in this environment, the current heightened volatility in markets means that now is the time to be diversified, not backing a recovery story in any one particular industry. If you want to listen to that interview, you can do so via the show notes. We also had a really good chat, and I enjoy our, ta um, our talks with Bob Desmond, Head of International Equities and Evans and Partners. So we get a lot, of, a lot of commentary around emerging markets, get a lot of commentary when it comes to investing, that Japan is starting to really look attractive uh, because it's so leveraged to the economic recovery story. Um, he was saying, listen... Again, don't fight the Fed, don't fight the resilience and the ability of the U.S. economy to recover. And he was saying, look, still, if you're looking for a place internationally to invest, you just can't look past U.S. equities. Yeah, I love his response when he said, no, if you want exposure to uh, emerging markets, you go and look for companies that are in the United States that have a large proportion of earnings in the, uh, in the EM world. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. So stick with quality. And I uh, know there's a component that goes and uh, benefits from an uptick in the EM without all the associated risk. It's, uh, it's easy to see why he prefers that particular investment vehicle. Fun fact from that interview. 
the average age of the stock held in the portfolio that he runs or manages is uh, 70 years old. It's worthwhile taking a listen to that interview. I put it on my LinkedIn. It's also accessible via the show notes here. And we rounded out the day speaking with uh, Julia Lee from Berman Invest. She's founder and CIO there. She's starting to look at some of the oil and gas plays. If you want to find out which one, which one's leveraged to that story, you can do so via the show notes or via our um, website or the app as I said many times. Hey, listen, uh, there was a bit of news out there today. Uh, We had the Polly's out really talking up this CSL investment, $800 million on a new manufacturing facility in Melbourne to produce influenza vaccines. CSL Scuddy was our stock of the day. Um, Kashi sat down with uh, Francesco Destratus from Ordmanet. And uh, let's start there. We'll hear from David Novak from Wealthwise Education after Francesco. This is one of the great Aussie companies, isn't mm. it? You know, mm. it's it's yeah, you know spun out of the government Commonwealth Serum Laboratories. Um, it's been very well managed over the years that it's been you know a private, well, publicly listed company. Um, you know, the the thing with me is that it trades at a very high multiple, always has, yeah. and probably always will. Um, historically, you would have looked at it trading in the mid to high 30s. It's trading yeah. in the mid 40s. Yeah. Uh, that's you know, a PE that high. You, you want to get things right all the time, and they yeah. do. Uh, you know, but um, you know, from a point of view, we have an accumulate on the stock. Right. Uh, but for, from a point of view of you know, what's your entry point? Uh, you know, I'd be buying on dips, not on these ra- rallies. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, but but I, you know, if you buy it for the long term, I don't think you have a problem. Um, you know, this last time it spiked to this level was in August, pulled yep. all the way back. Ah, uh, there it is. Yeah. Um, then it spiked up in August. That's where it is right now, and then fell all the way back to that lowest to two eighty. Yep. That and that previous low just before this rally, which has been a ten days, two weeks, it's jumped twenty nine dollars. You know. Yep. So, um, you know, if you are, you know, it's great trading stock. So if you bought it down there, this would be a good time to take profits. Yep. Controversial that saying take some profits in CSL. Trade the range. <laughs> All right, so that is the stock of the day. Where does that take us? It takes us to what we're expecting tonight. We sort of touched upon uh, the data that we're expecting, the Fed speakers that we will get. Um, we get Lagarde in uh, in Europe talking. We'll likely hear more on the Brexit front. Fireworks there. I mean, you've got to think that that story is going to come to some sort of a conclusion this week. We know that uh, European policymakers, I've said this so many times, you know, but that they love nothing more than to go and walk out, uh, you know, in Brussels in the, the daylight of a new day. Uh, usually it's uh, Asian markets are almost finished up with their day and they will announce some deal and uh, everyone will applaud. The, uh, the market will have a little pop uh, and then we'll be back to, I uh, know, focusing on other things at the moment. I'm still as near 100% certain as that having seen it over and over again since probably uh, circa 2012. So maybe, maybe 2020 will be different. I feel like for years I've talked about Europe kicking the can in some way, shape or form. They're experts Britain at it. Them. They're yep. perfect experts. So why, why bother changing something that's not broken? No? Okay. Roy Morgan, ANZ Consumer Confidence Survey out next week. Uh, we've got the monetary policy meetings from the November meeting coming out from the RBA. Boy, that seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? We also have uh, RBA Governor Philip Lowe speaking tonight as well. Tonight, but, yeah. But uh, that's, uh, look, we saw a press conference after the other meeting. We've heard so much from the RBA in recent weeks. 
Uh, I'll be flabbergasted to see if there's anything that uh, I know uh, the doctor lurking going add to the uh, discussion. But who knows? Uh, anything is possible. But uh, I think the markets are well and truly aware that uh, policy settings are going to be left very, very easy for a long period of time. And can do and, you know, still has firepower left. According to the governor, he will be asked about negative interest rate. They've capitulated on a number of fronts, including QE. And the question is, will they do the same when it comes to negative rates if Let, they need to? Let's hope he doesn't say extraordinarily unlikely again, because uh, that's just... It, just rings this bell in my head like no he will say that he said very similar things when it came to quantitative easing and whoops here we are well speaking of we'll be chatting with grant wilson head of asia pacific from Exante data and he's saying that the rbnz has been flirting with negative rates for a while but he says that central banks have written off their credibility uh, uh, save your commentary on that for tomorrow scuddy i can feel a view coming on okay um I'll move us right along. I do have a view on that, but I'm not going to go and tell you. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about, uh, well, plenty of guests throughout the day. We'll talk Bitcoin in the three o'clock. Martin Crabb, CIO at Sean Partners, will wrap the day with us. Hopefully, we'll have a day of trade to talk about. Yes. Tuesday treat, perhaps. <laughs> okay. Uh, listen, good stuff. Uh, that's the COB for today. Shall we call it a wrap? We'll call it a wrap and uh, welcome back once again. And, Thanks. Uh, glad Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. 